0: I was just thinking about um. I was just thinking as we're standing there singing. It's good, isn't it? Singing. I love it when the music is nice and loud because then you can sing loudly without having to worry too much about offending others. And uh, and I was just just thinking, you know, church is worth it. It's actually worth it. It's just worth being at church every week. Uh, you can bump into people that you like. You can avoid the people you don't like. You know how to do that. Just you can do it. All uh, right, church is a good place to be. If someone, you know, the band been working learning the songs, they sing the songs. Someone like Pastor Garth will say something enthusiastic and encouraging, right? And you hang out, and your kids can go to a great program and learn how to live a proper life. Uh, it takes a bit of pressure off you and your parenting role, right? You don't have to do all the hard work yourself, right? Isn't that amazing? Some churches do small groups as well during the week, and they do men's breakfast and host rugby games. Like, Some church is amazing, and I think it's amazing. It only costs 10% of your income. Right? And I reckon it's cheap. I reckon it's cheap for what you get. You know, aside from the fact that it connects you with the eternal God in a way that nothing else will, even just for the human aspects of church, it's so worth it. So worth being involved. So I just want to thank you guys for being here this morning. Great to be part of what you're doing. I love, it's so nice to be here. And I feel like I've been blessed already by much more. This hymn is not going to be as good as what I've already received from you. Sorry about that. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. So for those of you who don't know me, um, I am Jordan, as Pastor Garth said, and I live in Wellington, and uh, I am married to Christine, or Chrissy is her actual name, uh, Chrissy, and we have four children, so our oldest, Madeline, is 16 years old and is awesome. Uh, she goes to a extreme left-wing feminist school called Wellington Girls College. It's the most insane place you've ever th- heard of. Um, and I was worried about the school, but I managed to connect Madeline online uh, with Candace Owens from America. And so now Madeline is arguing with every one of her teachers uh, about the, the evils of third-wave feminism. And uh, and so it's awesome having a 16-year-old who is bossy. And uh, I have a 14-year-old son, Elliot, uh, and he goes to the board. Boys' school across the other side of town. I don't know if they do that here, but in Wellington, the girls' school is on one end of the city. Oh, they're right next to each other. That is bad, bad planning. In Wellington, they've got to figure it figure out. The boys' school is on one extreme edge of the city, and the girls' school is on the other edge of the city. I think that's the way it should be. Uh, anyway, and we have a 12-year-old son, Austin, and an 8-year-old daughter, Lucia. So everyone say, Lucia. Lucia, uh, Lucia Mary Smith, you need to remember that name, because she is in charge of the whole world. Uh, you don't know it yet, but she is, uh, you, she'll, she'll come to your attention at some point, and she'll be telling you what to do. Uh, so anyway, it's good to be here, and uh, how many people love uh, love, the, love the Bible, right? We love the Bible, we're Christians, you have to say yes to your church, we love the Bible. And we, I think a lot of people, everybody has different, the Bible is such a big and crazy book not even a book it's just a it's a it's a connection it's a it's a touch point between heaven and earth it's probably the critical touch point physical touch point we have between heaven and earth now is the printed word of god as we read it and our hearts are open and connected to an invisible reality that we couldn't get any other way right that's true whether you believe it or not like i know a lot of people who enjoy the bible they don't really believe it like we do but they still see the value of this book it's it's an amazing thing right but it's, I think one of the interesting is we all have different things we like about the Bible. Have you noticed that? Some people love a bit of Proverbs, right? Some people like just the Old Testament stories. Some people only read the Jesus bits. They just love those bits. Some people just read Daniel and the book of Revelation. I stay away from those people, right? Because uh, the Bible's got so much different stuff in it. But I think if if I think about one of the most useful parts of the Bible, I reckon is the book of Acts. Right, okay, it's the most useful part of the—not the, the most—it's one of the most useful parts of the Bible because it it tells a story, which is cool. You can read it and get into the story. Everyone likes a great story, eh? Like it tells that story, but it also more than just telling a story. It shows it shows this particular person's life, the Apostle Paul's life. Right, so the first few chapters of Acts is about the the establishment of the Holy Spirit coming and empowering these people and what the first part is about empowering believers and then they become architects of kingdom culture wherever they go that's the first part of the book of acts and then the second part of the book of acts it just focuses in drills in on one person the apostle paul and it follows him as he does your vision which he goes and does this thing which is on your sign here which i reckon is awesome i've enjoyed reading that already right and the apostle paul then goes and he and he starts impacting all around what was then the world Right. The whole of the Roman Empire, begins impacting, and he's got this plan to go here and go there, and he connects with the people. And wherever he goes, he convinces people to, to embrace Christ and the work of God in their life, and then they gather in community, and then that small group of Christians begins to transform the wider community around it. So God does something in the small space. Paul gets there, sparks something that then begins to grow, right? And then in some places, even quickly, like Ephesus, had such a significant influence that so many people became Christians in Ephesus and in Asia Minor that the silversmiths couldn't sell their statues of Diana anymore, right? So the number of Christians and the influence of those Christians shifting their lifestyle around actually disrupted the entire economy of a region, right? So this massively influential thing, but what started it was this one guy, who, who had come to church and heard Pastor Garth talking about being released and empowered, right? And transforming and extending the kingdom, this kingdom culture all around the world. So I reckon the Apostle Paul's worth thinking about when we think about how we live our lives, right? How are we gonna, how are you gonna, like, you can just carry on how you've always, you know, you can just carry on, right, with life. And I think a lot of people do that, right. You, you go to primary school, and then you go to intermediate school, then you hold your breath for five years, and you get through high school, right? And then you might go to university, and then the, the main reason people think about going to university, even young people, they go to university because they want to get a, a good education, right? They go to university to get a good education, and you're looking at me like, that makes perfect sense. It makes no sense to me at all. That's not a place you would go if you want a good education, right? They go to university to get a good education, and then why do they want a good education? so they can get a job, right? A good, quote-unquote, a good job. So they go to university, get a good education, to get a good job, right? So that they can pay off their mortgage. Right? So the whole focus, the whole focus was to eventually die. So let's live our life so that we can be as comfortable as possible up until the point we die. So there's almost a culture that's dying out, I reckon, in the Western world. But there's almost a culture that's been part of our Western world is you, you want to get your you want to get your kids into early childhood so they do well in primary school. You want them. You want to go to the teacher interviews and pay attention and make sure they do extra curricular activities through high school as well, so that they can get into university, so they can get a good education, so they can get a good job, so they can keep themselves comfortable until they die. It's like a giant hospice. Do you, do you, can you see that I, that's why I feel like I feel, I feel like something there's part of the system that's actually designed just to keep people comfortable enough right? So going through the motions they settled in their job and paying the mortgage and say you know buying a batch and buying a boat uh, and then they've got the lifestyle that they can feel as you know fun right so that they don't cause too much trouble right if we can keep everyone comfortable if we can teach everyone to stay comfortable they won't cause too much trouble and the whole system will work right but we the individual in the middle of that system can go really missing right and do you know what church is not a hospice that's not a hospice. We know, we, you know, pastor Garth's role here isn't to keep you sedated, right, and calm, and to you know, give you a little pat on the back when you're feeling down. You know, you'll be okay, mate. You know, that's, not, that's not the role of the pastor. The pastor's role is to strengthen people. It's to strengthen people, to add weight to people, to put, to put oomph in people, to encourage people. You don't need to be encouraged if you're just marking time. Right, you just need support then, right? But actually, if we're going to do our vision, if we're going to live out this vision and see the, the extension of the kingdom as a result of what we do, it's going to require us to step up into the call of God that's on our life and embrace it and move forward with real vision and real power, right? This introduction is getting out of hand, right? So uh, we'll keep moving. We'll keep moving, right? Otherwise, we'll be here till three in the afternoon. But uh, the reality is, I want to. I want to. I want to look at the Apostle Paul. And I wanna look, I'm just picking out three episodes. They're tiny little episodes, and life, and what I want to do is, I want to impress upon you a model for your own life, right? There's people here of all ages. There's there's youngish people. There's people who are younger than me, right? So you must be very young, right? There's people with hair, with less hair than me. There's people with grayer hair than me. So we're, we're well spread here. But it actually doesn't matter how old you are. I reckon there's a way of living our life. There's an approach to living our life that allows the kingdom of God to flow through us, right? And there are ways that we can live our life that hinders the work of the kingdom. Nod your head if you agree. There are ways we can live our life that actually release the kingdom in, into us and then out of us. And there are ways of living that prevent that from happening. Is that all right? we agree? You're allowed to talk back to me because I'm used to talking to people who are not paying attention. So hold, hold on. I'm just going to take my jacket off because it's getting too warm. Okay. See if we can handle the remote control, eh? okay, okay, okay. Here we go, here we go. Okay. So if I press the button... When I was a younger artist, I was thinking about the tool... Uh, and uh, it was a long time ago when I was a younger artist. And I think in about the 12th century, I drew this one. Uh, and uh, it's interesting. The, the old fashioned icons of St. Paul are really interesting. And he's, he's often got a Bible, which is makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah, actually, it doesn't make sense. I agree with you. Yeah. He said that this is, uh, this is symbolic, right? So he's carrying the Bible because he actually carried a lot of that New Testament revelation, right? Uh, and then you've got the Mediterranean Sea in the background. You've got the boat, which is a big part of his whole, whole, uh, journey and the mountains. And he's also got a pretty hard face and he was, he was known for being bald. He's also known in tradition for being pretty ugly. He's regarded as pretty ugly. Um, in fact, um, he talks about how he himself talks in the Bible about how when he arrived somewhere, he was really, really ugly, and uh, he didn't nothing, nothing to look upon. You know, he talks about that. He's, apparently he wasn't. A lot of scholars reckon he wasn't just talking himself down. Apparently he was pretty ugly, right? And when he arrived, people were like, huh, oh, right? Uh, and they think it's pretty simple. Like he had many, many times, you read through, many times he was beaten with sticks, stoned, things like that. And that has an impact on your looks, right? And, uh, and uh, so that's why his head looks like that, I believe. It looks a bit like uh, something of Star Trek, to be honest, but anyhow, uh, moving on. We'll read the Bible shall we? before we get too much further. Where do I point this? The screen. Here we go. Okay, so let's read this is from the book of Ezekiel, and I was looking for the scripture and then I read it in the message. And I was like, wow, that's even better. Okay, and I've purposely made this so you can't read it. I can change the words if I want to. It says this: seize life. Okay? Seize life. Remember, there's a way to live your life that releases the kingdom, and there's a way you can live your life that that holds it back. Seize life. Eat bread with gusto. How many keto diet people have gone in the room? Right, it's not biblical. It's not biblical. You should be eating bread with gusto. And gusto, if you look at the original language, that means uh, tomato sauce and cheese. Eat bread with pizza. Eat pizza. Drink wine with a robust heart. Right, so if you're going to drink wine, drink it with a robust heart. Drink it enthusiastically. Not too much, but enthusiastically. Yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Isn't that amazing? God God likes to see you doing things you like doing. He likes to see you doing it robustly with energy. Dress festively every morning. It's in the Bible. Dress festively every morning. Now, you can't, you might be like me and a bit of a blue shirt, black trousers type of person, I don't know, but you can always just splash out at the socks level, right? Just go, just go with, so yeah, yeah. that's the way. You dress festively, right? And if you can't do socks, just do underpants. Wear something bright and colorful. It goes on, it says, don't skimp on colors and scarves. See, this is how, this is about, this is in the Bible. This is the wisdom, this is the wisdom portion of the Bible. And the wisdom part of the Bible says, you should dress brightly. You should dress festively every day, right? And don't skimp on colors and don't skimp on scarves. Relish life with the spouse you love. Okay, You can read between the lines, married people. You can read between the lines, right? What my there. I mean, Relish life with the spouse you love. Each and every day of your precarious life. Right? We're not marking time. We're relishing life. We're dressing festively, right? Each and every day. Every day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Right, if you can stay alive today, do you know what you get as a reward? Tomorrow. And do you know what else you get as a reward? Nothing. The only reward you get for staying alive is another day where you can really give it everything you've got. Make the most of each day. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it. And do it heartily, for this is your last and only chance at it. There's neither work to do, and there are no thoughts to think in the company of dead, on the company of the dead where you are most certainly headed. Hey. So here's the Apostle Paul again. This is what this is a painting I did in the 16th century. So we shouldn't skimp. If we're going to live a life, I reckon if we're going to live a life like the Apostle Paul, it's a life that doesn't skimp. We don't skimp, and I'm putting brackets there on scarves and colors, right? Don't hold back. I like this one here because he's got his his codex, his Bible under his arm, and he's got a sword as well. And actually, most of the icons of Paul have him carrying the Bible and carrying that sword. So everyone say, don't skimp. skimp. When we think about the Apostle Paul, um, it's not a stretch, it's not a stretch at all to argue that the Apostle Paul is the most influential Christian that there is. Right? So there, there's Jesus, and then there's the Apostle Paul, is critically influential, partly because he was so desperate to get around the world when he couldn't get there by boat, he was forced to write letters. And the reason the letters are hilarious to read is because he was only doing them as a because he couldn't get there in person. So he would write the letters, and then he would give them to one of his Blokes, so Timothy. There's a whole bunch of other ones, right? And they would then travel with the letters and take them to other churches. And then the the church they didn't they didn't photocopy the letters, right? They didn't email them out to the church. Hey, just if you could pass, Paul's written this. If you could have a read, they didn't do that, right? Uh, they didn't photocopy them. They, there was just one copy. And then Timothy or what, you know what are the other Titus, whoever was there, delivering the letter, they would deliver it. So they would stand up. And then they would preach it. It was like live stream, but it was, it was very slow. It took months, months to download each message. As someone came on a donkey with that tucked under their arm, right? Because, because Paul was desperate to see the gospel extend beyond his own presence. That's why we've got these written records. Right? Because he was, he was desperate to do more than was possible at the time. Right? So he used every available means at the time to see this, this thing extend and expand. It's the size of his vision that allowed that those scriptures that, w- that have encouraged us and transformed our lives have been transmitted to us because of that. So without a doubt, the apostles, the, I reckon is the, arguably the most influential Christian of all time. Christianity though, one of the most influential things in human, the human realm. Right? If not the most influential stream of thought throughout human history has been Christianity. Right? So, without much of a stretch, you could argue the person we're talking about today and the example that he set for us, he is the most influential human being to have ever lived. And he always will be. Right? Without him, about half of all the other influential people in the whole world don't exist. You don't get Martin Luther King Jr or Martin Luther, without the Apostle Paul, right? You don't get uh, uh, the inventors, you don't get Isaac Newton, right, without the Apostle Paul. as the way he taught, the way he, he influenced the whole way the human beings think. So I think he's a pretty good example for us moving forward. So how did it begin? Let's have a look at Acts chapter 9. Are you doing that or am I doing that? Yeah, okay, I'll just leave you to it. You actually did a better job than I would normally. Okay, so... When we first meet Paul, you might have heard the story if you if you grew up in Sunday school, you would have heard this one, right? But it says that Saul, because that was originally his name, right? Saul was uttering out threats with every breath. This is an enthusiastic person, right? Every breath, everything about him was a threat against the Lord's followers. He was eager to kill them, in fact. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters and his mates were putting to the synagogues in Damascus. Because what had happened is the Paul, Saul, and his mates were putting pressure on the Christians in Jerusalem and a bunch of them were fleeing other places and some of them went to Damascus and he was going to chase them down, right? He wanted letters of cooperation in the arrest of any of the followers of the way. The The best descriptor of Christianity is this one, the way. It's not a belief system, it's a way of living, right? It's an approach to life. So he wanted to arrest them and he wanted to bring them back mean and women back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven shines around him and he falls to the ground and he hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So this is Saul's on, it's the road to Damascus, right? And he calls back, who are you Lord? Right? The voice replied, I'm Jesus. The one you are persecuting. Now get up. Go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of somebody's voice, but they saw no one. Other translations sort of make it out that they heard a voice, but they couldn't quite distinguish what it says, these, these moments where the voice from heaven, right? Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind, That's a cool little phrase, I reckon. When he opened his eyes, he was blind. That's an interesting little paradoxical phrase, right? When he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. And he remained there blind for three days, and he didn't eat, and he didn't drink. See, the reality is, if we're going to be the sort of people who take what God's given to us, and allow that out of us. So that we, go, we do more than just marking time. But that we actually create influence in the world. We extend the kingdom of God in the world. And, and we'll do it our way. I'm not suggesting you get on a donkey and begin riding to Damascus as step one. Right? We've got to do it in our time. And you have to extend the kingdom of God in your skin. Right? But this is where Saul begins. Right? He begins blind. I was to identify the number one thing that's prevented me from taking steps of faith. The number one thing that's prevented me from being influential, even in specific moments or in specific conversations is that you always have to start blind. Every time Israel wants to learn a new song, do you know what he has to start off doing? He has to start off playing it badly. And if you're not prepared to play a song badly, you will, will you ever get to play it well? The answer to that is no. <laughs> Think about every single thing you do. Every single thing you do well right now. Everything that you do well, you started off doing it badly. Have you ever watched a four-year-old or a five-year-old learning to tie their shoelaces? I'm just going to make an assumption. Slip on shoes, maybe not. But for everybody else... Tying shoelaces is a straightforward process now, isn't it? You just do it without even thinking, right? But before you could do it without thinking, you had to do it using all of your thinking, right? And you had to not be able to do it and then try again and not be able to do it. And then you had to try again and not be able to do it. Then you had to try again and not be able to do it, right? Which is brilliant. So when you see a toddler trying to stand up, how many times does it take them to figure that out? thousands of times and once they can finally stand up do you know the one of our toddlers we realized that he could stand up one time you know this is how it happens with parenting right you suddenly realize they can stand up then you have to adjust right then you suddenly realize they're walking so then you have to move things right so uh, he'd been eating um, like banana eating like smearing some banana around on his he's sitting in his high chair right Put him in the high chair, he's eating his food, right? And Chris, he left the room, came back in, and he's standing on the tray. Oh, he can stand up. Here's Here's the reality. The thing that God's calling you to do, you won't be able to do. Now, what you mostly do when God calls you to do something you can't do, what you mostly say back to God is, I can't do that. And God's surprised because He He knew that you couldn't do it before you he asked you to do it. And He didn't need your advice on the whole process. Right? But what we mostly do when God's drawing us out of ourselves, out of our lethargy sometimes, out of our holding back sometimes, God draws us into something different, something bigger, something further. And most of the time we've got to realize that we've got to start out blind. That's the thing that holds us back more than anything else is we've got to start out blind. If you think about how Paul really started, how did he really start his journey following Jesus? Paul started his journey following Jesus going in completely the wrong direction. He begins following Jesus by chasing down Christians to put them into prison. That was his starting point. Now, I'm just going to make the assumption, most of you are closer to the truth than that, right? But we've got to understand, this guy who was the most influential Christian of all time, he began a million miles behind the knowing how to do it. In fact, he was convinced in the completely wrong direction. God knocks him off his horse, and he suddenly has a revelation of Jesus. How many people, you know, you got a shout conference, or you got a stronger conference, or you do your Bible reading in the morning, and you want to have a revelation of Jesus. Okay? I just makes it, Make that a goal next time you're reading the Bible. Is that all right? Some of you are like, really? Yeah, yeah. Don't just read the Bible to read the Bible, right? Read the Bible to get a revelation of Jesus, right? Because uh, we want a revelation of Jesus because we want to see more, right? But here's a weird thing about what happens when you have a revelation of Jesus, you s- realize how little you can see. A revelation of Christ won't make you see more; it makes you realize more clearly how dependent you are on Him, how how reliant we are on Him. Makes us blinder before it makes us more -er seerer. Okay, should we move on? I think have we have we laboured this point long enough? You have to begin blind. Acts chapter nine carries on and Paul's hanging out in Damascus and the an amazing thing happens uh, God speaks to a, a Christian who's in Damascus possibly one of the Christians that Paul was trying to get was a guy called Ananias and God speaks to Ananias and says uh, go to a certain place and ask for poor Saul uh, and he's waiting for you he's blind and you're gonna pray for him and he'll be able to see right it's pretty amazing i think I think one of the heroes in the Bible has got to be this guy Ananias, right this tiny little interaction with somebody else moves the process in Saul's to life along just a tiny interaction i don't I don't know how sometimes we think of oh god's g God i got a you know, I've got this big a call from God or people talk about a call from God. It sounds big, but it's not. It's not. It's really many, many small interactions, right? And this guy, Ananias, the most significant thing he seems to have done in his whole life is this one encounter with Saul. He may have done a whole lot of other really amazing things. But the thing that he did that impacts us now, 2,000 years later, is that he obeyed God, took personal risk, and went and spoke to Saul. And prays for Saul, and Saul's uh, eyes are open, and he can see again. And then Saul begins to preach the gospel. So he went to Damascus to catch Christians and take them back to prison, and begins to preach the gospel, right? And his preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. That's a good sign you, that they've lost the argument, right? They were watching for him day and night at the city gate. So that some of the other believers lolled about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. And I think when it comes to living a life of influence, living the life God's called us to, it starts off, we have to begin blind. And then we have to trust other people or we'll die. I don't know how many times I've read this story of Paul gets in a basket and he's lowered through a gap in the city wall and just carry on to the next verse. But I don't know whether, like, if we did that, like, let's all go upstairs and Pastor Garth's got a basket, and uh first question would be how strong is the basket? Well, let's think. Well, what's the strongest basket? Well, it's probably not as strong as the strongest basket. So, because it's, it's still a basket, it didn't say that he got into it like a. It's not wooden, like it's so. It's not as strong as anything wooden. It's definitely not as strong as anything steel. Right, so he gets into a basket. Right, that'd be the first question, eh? The next question would be how strong are the ropes? Now if you don't ask these sort of questions, then you should not get into baskets, right? First of all, how strong is a basket? Well it's only as strong as a basket is. It's not stronger than that. It's not definitely not as strong as the city walls. So he's on the city wall, right? Is the basket as secure as the city wall? No. So there's a challenge when we begin pursuing a call. We have to begin blind and then we have to be prepared to move from positions of security to relative insecurity. Human nature does exactly the opposite every chance it gets. You're always looking to get out of baskets, right? To identify the baskets you're in. And we even have a word for people who are stuck in baskets. They are a basket case, right? Saul has to remove from the the solidity of the city wall to the relative insecurity of the basket, right? Then they begin to, they, 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 They begin to lower the basket over the city wall. Do you know they are responsible for a lot of evil in the world? They offended me. They let me down. They were talking behind my back. They don't value my gifts. They didn't give me a cup of tea. They never give me an opportunity to preach. They never, they never, they never, they never. The reality is this, is they are the people you've got to rely on. They are the ones holding the rope. Well, well, you know, it's okay for you guys. You've got great pastors here. But actually, until you can get in a basket and then trust other people to lower you down to safety, right? then you never can progress on with the, the call you've got. I think a lot of people hear God call them. God speaks to them about something but then the challenge of moving from the city wall and into a basket and the fact that other people are holding the ropes of the basket we're looking for some sort of a pulley situation where we can lower ourselves down well i'm just going to rely on me man i'm just you know it's about you know i've got to take care of my own responsibility and i sort of i sort of respect that attitude but for us as christians actually it's our working together and relying on each other and trusting each other and allowing each other to to, you know, to, to encourage each other into positions of risk and to support each other through those times of risk. That's the biggest challenge in terms of following God sometimes. Sometimes it's, we begin out blind, and a lot of people are just waiting for a perfect plan. You know, when God, email, right? And then sometimes we're waiting for a pulley system so we don't have to trust other people with our insecurities. We don't have to trust other people to, to help us get from the city wall to the ground so we can carry on with the mission that God's got for us. Two years ago, I stopped being the senior pastor of a church, which sort of sounds like a small thing, but it turned into a big thing, right? Because there's two reasons, two things that were going on. Number one is that I had a salary. How many people have got a salary or had one before? It's an amazing thing. A salary, right? People just put money in your bank every month. It really is amazing, Right. And yes, you had to turn up and all that there was a whole lot of responsibilities attached to it, right? But that money came in when I had a salary. That money came in every single fortnight from when I first started working. so 1999 was the first time I had a salary job, right through to 2017, 2018, whatever, 2000 or something. the middle of, yeah, May 2018. That's a long time, and money just came in every fortnight, right? Not quite enough money, but money came in every fortnight, right? And then I went for quite a few months without any money coming in, right? My basket was wobbly. I'll just say that. the basket was wobbly, right? And I had to trust God to provide something. I had to trust other people. So people gave me contract work. People gave me other stuff like that, right? And the reality is that if, if I couldn't have trusted other people, like I if I had to go and get a job, I'm going to have to sort this out for something, right? Then I never would have been able to be where I am today, right? So where I am today is allowing me to continue on with the mission God's got for me. I didn't stop being a pastor anymore because I was useless at it. I'd been useless at it for a long time, right? The reason I stopped was because I felt like it was a change of season. And I've got a, this... The, I've got to leave the security of a city wall and get into a basket, right? And being in the basket, we, we uh, don't know where the money's coming from. You've got to hustle. You've got to talk to people. You've got to start. But as I said, you know what I've found is that if I connected with enough people, I, then I connected with people on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. I was friendly everywhere, right? I emailed everyone I you spoke to people on the telephone, I meet businesses and community leaders and the mayors and anyone who would talk to me. If I connect with enough people right and talk to them, they'll say something that interests me. Right? And then if I'm interested in them, do you know what people? Do you know what happens when you're interested in people, they tell you their problems. right? So if you're interested in somebody's business, whether it's dry cleaning or nail manufacturing, these are two of my clients, right? If you're interested in somebody's business, then they tell you their problems because everyone's got problems, but you don't tell your problems to everybody. You tell your problems to people who are interested. So then they tell me their problem, and you know what I found is when people tell me their problem, I'd start thinking about their problem, and then the Holy Spirit tells me a solution. And then once the Holy Spirit tells me a solution, then I'd tell the person. And they get, they're excited and grateful, and then they pay me money. And all my only job is to connect with people. And if people are not interesting, then i leave them alone, right? Because if you're not interesting, I won't keep talking to you, right? But if someone's interesting, then I'll keep talking to interesting people, right? And then they tell me the problems, and eventually they pay me money, right? But I actually, I've got no money that comes in other than other people giving me money. Because I, I was interested in what they're doing, and I solved a problem for them, Right? But if you're not going to, if we can't, the process I think is instructive. That can we trust other people? Can we lean on other people to allow us, to lower us into the next space uh, in in terms of what God's doing, right? Okay, I've got some notes here different to what I said, but I think what I said was better. (sighs) On that point, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, is it making sense so far? We're two-thirds of the way through, so you've really done well. No one's left yet, Gar. Just, yeah, yeah. It's really hard at the front, you can't see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is anyone still here? This guest speaker's going out of control. Anyhow, so we've got to start blind. We've got to trust other people. Can you see why some of us don't become the Apostle Paul? Because we hate starting blind, and we hate trusting other people. Those are two things we hate right? It's not that we hate other people, we just meet enough other people to know they're not worthy of trust, right? There's real reasons why we don't trust other people, right? Because other people generally speaking are only 50% trustworthy, right? And we know this because we know ourselves, and we are only 50% trustworthy as well, right? And that's the challenge though, we either trust other people, and yes, you might fall off the wall when the basket comes loose, right? But if you stay on the wall, you die anyway, right? So that's sometimes our choice. We've got to move forward or we're going to get trapped, ending up marking time until we die. Okay, point number three uh, is found in these two bits of writing. So Paul carries on, and uh, after a few years, actually quite some time, he begins these missionary journeys around the Mediterranean. And this is one of the more interesting ones. It says that Paul went to Derby and then to Lystra, there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer and his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers. Timothy turned out to be a real significant leader. He led the church in Ephesus, really significant leader. But he sort of, Paul actually met him by bumping into him, right? He was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted them to join them on their journey in defense of the Jews of the area. He arranged for Timothy to be circumcised for the left, and everyone knew that he was, their father, was a father's of Greek. And then they went from town to town, instructing the believers, followers of the apostles of Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they grew larger every day. I'm just wondering whether I've got the right verses here. Next, Paul and Silas uh, traveled through the era of Phygia and Galatia. Uh, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia, so they tried to go. So they go to one place, they bump into Timothy. Timothy comes along, and then they try to go to Asia. They can't go there, so then they, may, they may, instead of going to Asia, they go to Phagria and Galatia, uh, and then uh, they, they, they came to the border of Mycia and they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went through Mycia to the seaport of Troas, right? And in Troas, that's where they bump into Luke, right? Because it's about to change. Because the whole tense of the book of Acts, the Apostles. At this point, it goes from Luke talking about Paul to then Luke talks about us. So Luke joins there. Luke wrote the book of Luke, self-titled first album, and his second album is the Acts of the Apostles. Right? That night, Paul has a vision. A man. It was a man. A man from Macedonia and northern Greece was standing there, pleading with him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Now, one of the things that's worth bearing in mind, this is the ancient world. And in the ancient world, people didn't live in large nations. There was a big empire, the Roman Empire, but people lived in quite small city-states, right? Like these places, Derbe, I And then in those city-states, they actually spoke quite unique dialects right, so there was, like, Greek was a universal sort of language, but actually each local area had tribal-level languages, and in some places, like, village-level dialects, like the UK, where each village is actually talking pretty differently, right? They had different languages, and so whenever you went and traveled around, like these guys are doing, you're traveling around, you had to keep coming into contact with new sort of groups of people. In the ancient world, when a stranger comes to town, talking about a stranger, and talking differently, the most common outcome was that you kill that person, right? Because that's how you protect the safety of your group, right? Still how we do it. You know, if there's skateboarders and you come in and talking about cross-stitch, they're going to kill you, right? You you protect the the security of your tribe by killing the outsiders. So what they're doing is massively dangerous and and reckless. Let's go over here. Oh, bump into this guy, he'll join us, and let's let's go over here. Oh, we can't get there. So let's go over here. Oh, we can't get there. And then they have a dream. This is a great way to make decisions. They have a dream, and in the middle of the night, they see a man from Macedonia, So they think, let's go to Macedonia. I'd be like, who do we know there? How safe is it? No, we've had this dream. Yeah, but you, but it didn't last... Last week you had an idea to go to Asia and that didn't work out, and then you tried to go to Bithynia and that didn't work, and then flicker and that didn't work out, right? And now you're telling us you've had a dream and you're going to go to B- Macedonia. Yeah, I had a dream of a man in Macedonia saying, "Come and help us." So anyway, off they go. And you know when they get to Macedonia, they looked. There's no synagogue in Macedonia, so Paul goes looking for a place of prayer, which is code for. Because if you had 10 Jewish families, you're allowed to have a synagogue, right? Because then you could pay the rabbi, right? 10 Jewish families, you're allowed to be a synagogue. If you had less than that, what they would do is they would establish a place of prayer. So one or two Jewish families would gather together to pray, right? So he went down to the river and he was looking for a, a group of Jewish people, at least one Jewish man, or two or three Jewish men and their families gathering to pray. Anyway, down by the river, he doesn't find a Jewish man, even though that's what the dream was, a man was saying, come and help us. And he finds this woman, Lydia, who first of all, the first thing he knows about this woman, Lydia, is that she is a woman. Right? Very few women in leadership roles in the church today. There were even less 2,000 years ago. In fact, there were none, right? And she's not a Jew, and she's not a rabbi, She's a woman and she's a businesswoman. Paul meets her and establishes the church and the church is established in Macedonia. Right? Possibly the most significant strategic event in the whole book of Acts is that Paul goes to Macedonia. He had no strategic plan. He had a crazy dream in the middle of the night. His dream turned out to be incorrect. There was no man waiting. So he goes there on a dream that he's misinterpreted. He bumps into a woman who's a businesswoman and the church is established for the first time in Europe. Why is that significant, Garth? Because the only reason the church is in New Zealand is because it got to Europe. Right? How did the church get to Europe? Via its first female leader. Right, so you're talking about a historically significant, strategic move of the kingdom to see the church established in Europe. (laughs) Obviously, the influence of the church in in Europe is, and and via Europe to the whole world, that is incalculable. Right, and this first female leader to help us rethink our view of how God calls people, and how did he get there? Well, he started out blind, then he trusted other people and baskets and ropes. He's trusted other people with a bad idea. Well, Pastor Garth, I don't think our small groups are very good. They're not. It's just a basket. Get in it. <laughs> right? Oh, well, you need a really good idea. You don't need a really good idea. You just need to actually commit. To and everywhere. Right? That's how God had it And So we've got to be prepared to go here, there, and everywhere. This is a very modern map of the world compared to what Paul was operating with. I was going to put a photo of a first century map of the world up, but they weren't colorful enough for my slides. I I now currently struggle to get around Wellington without using GPS. Right? Paul's literally traveling across the world to all these strange places. And that, that is far better than any map that he had moving forward. We've got to be prepared to move forward without a map based on the word of God, We've got our, our personal relationship with Jesus, and then his word to us as he speaks to us through scripture, through prophetic revelation. We've got to be prepared to push forward and believe that God's calling us. Amen. Amen. Can I pray for you before you, before you hand it back to Garth? Is that all right? People are like, well, maybe. Yeah, praying, praying, shmang. Some people are like, I don't know about this praying thing. Anybody like that? Doesn't do you know? Praying works whether you believe in it or not. That's the thing I like about it. Uh, and actually, do you know, uh, praising, worshiping, all those things work even if you don't really believe it while you're doing it. Uh, you actually feel better just. I we've all been there Sunday morning. I can't believe in that church. I raise starts lifting, right? I really I, pre- I have preached this message before, but I really feel like that I, in, collectively, this is a church with vision. And the church is moving forward, right? I really feel that. But I really believe that individually, God wants to knock people off horses, and actually, the collective movement forward is going to go to a whole new level when individually we can carry a sense of call and purpose and meaning. And this this is the challenge, the tension of the body of Christ. Yeah, we want we want to work collectively together. But actually, each and every person in this room has a role to play in the extension of the kingdom, in the health of the body of Christ, and actually, it's the the power of the body of the Christ is what each joint supplies. A joint is the collective. A joint in the body is where multiple parts work together to create movement. But that doesn't happen without each individual part functioning right. And I reckon the challenge is to make sure that we're not supposed to do particular organs of the body of Christ, but that we're actually people who are bringing, our, uh, bringing what we're supposed to do, bringing our flavor, bringing our color, bringing, waving our scarf, bringing our excitement, bringing our energy into what God's called us to. And you're going you're gonna to express the call of God on your life. You're going to express it via your personality, via your cultural style, right? Not everyone has to be as loud as me, right? That would because that would be awful. It would be truly awful, right? But each and every one of us has got to hear the voice of God and know that God's calling us to something powerful, right? Calling us to see the kingdom of God extended. Amen? Amen. So maybe close your eyes, bow your heads. I just want to pray. I particularly want to pray for people who know that actually they're marking time. I really specifically want to pray for people when you recognize that you've slipped into the cultural norms of being a New Zealander or a Westerner or or yeah, the cultural norms of just getting through life, paying the bills. But actually you're recognizing that God's speaking to you this morning, not just through my sermon, but the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And that you really, you're really can acknowledge the fact that it's time for you to be knocked off one course of action and for the Holy Spirit to speak to you about a whole new course of action. It might just actually be a shift internally that you can recognize God wants to bring you to. So I'm going to pray for you first. So wherever you're sitting, just why don't you respond in your heart if you know that's you. You say, yeah, I need to be. I want to be knocked off my horse. I didn't catch it. Sorry. You, most of all, that's a great way to respond. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.